we had a fantastic week last week, the week of the fasting. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and we had a powerful prayer night on, on, on Friday night. I just want to encourage you guys, whenever we call this fast, I want to encourage you to endeavor to participate. Fasting and praying does not change God, it changes you. You are the ones that need to change to be properly aligned with what God has purposed to bring to pass in your lives. Amen? Amen. And then, of course, Wednesday nights, when we first shut it down, people, ah, Pastor, no, no, don't do that. Don't shut it down. We miss Wednesday nights. And then we brought it back. Yeah. We brought Wednesday night back. And it's been the best kept secret yeah. in Gwinnett County. So I want to encourage you, really seriously, I know that some of you guys are working late and therefore 7 o'clock is difficult. I understand that. But for those of us who is at home watching General Hospital and Scandal and Judge Judy, I call God as a witness against you. No, I'm just... <laughs> you get the message. You get the message. Listen, there are good things that's happening. I don't want us to become Sunday, Sunday Christians. You will not change the world by being Sunday, Sunday Christians. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as much as we know that the day is coming. So I want to encourage all of us, all of you, live, work, and just come straight to church. What's, what's big, we only have a one hour. One hour. Yeah. Amen. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Okay, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Amen. Therefore, holy brethren and sisters, <laughs> partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of a confession, Christ Jesus. Now, for the last couple of months, we've been addressing the declarative statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. Seven times he made a declaration as to who he was. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe last week or week before, we addressed, I am the true vine. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus addresses himself with those seven declarative statements. But that's not all there is to know about him. That's not all who he is. Because here in Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 1, and I read it again. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Are there any ones here this morning who are partakers of the heavenly calling? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I'm in the right audience. Praise God. He said, for those of you who are partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, think about, ponder, Meditate the apostle forerunner, 
Paonea. And the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So this morning, I want to speak to us on the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk about Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And in talking about this, it only complements what he has already said about himself. Jesus said himself, he said, my testimony is true. He said, but not only do I testify about myself, he said, but my, God, my father also testifies of me. So Hebrews 3.1 is God's testimony concerning Jesus. Not only is he what he said he, he is in, in the Gospel of John, those seven declarations, but on top of that, God lets us know that Jesus is our high priest. Now, for us, when we hear the word high priest, already questions are, what in the heck is that? And that's good. It's good that we're asking the questions because I'm going to answer them this morning. Now, in order for me and you to appreciate what Jesus is as a high priest, we must go back and examine and look at what God did already in Israel regarding the high priest ministry. This is very important. I'm taking my time. I'm very slow this morning. I'm very deliberate because I don't want you to miss this. This is a classic. This is going to be a classic. But I have to take my time to get to the culmination point. Amen? Amen. The history of the priesthood goes a long ways back, but because of the uh, time constraint and what I want to address in this minute, I'm not going to go through the whole context of it or the whole history of it, but it goes way back. So, if you go with me to Exodus 28, Exodus chapter 28, in verse 1 and 2. Because you need to see how beautifully the scriptures is harmonious. It, it blows my mind to know that what God intended to do in Jesus, it demonstrated in the Old Testament. And it did so, the Bible says, so that we now, upon whom the ends of the world has come, up, come will have a picture, we have clear understanding of what this ministry means. Folks, the only ministry that Jesus functions in now is that of the high priest. Okay? That is his ministry today, right now, this minute. Tomorrow, next week, next month. Therefore, it behooves us to know what is he doing? Why is he doing it? How does that relate to us? Exodus 28 verse 1. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron, and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. Now, why did God choose this man? To give you background, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God's intention was that all of Israel would be a kingdom of priests. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. But they revolted against them. They said, no, we cannot do it. No, 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 Moses, just go and hear God and come back and tell us. We, we'll be, it'll be sufficient for me to read it on Google. I don't want to hear God. I'll read it. I'll hear what Oprah is saying. 
I hear what Kenneth Copeland is saying. I hear what Bank Akimala is saying. I hear what Kefidela is saying. I don't want to get too close to God. I'll just hear him from a third party. That's what they said then. They rejected God's purpose and settled for intermediary. And God said, okay, that's what we want to do it. Fine. Just give me one family then. I don't want the whole nation. I'll take one family. Please, mind you, God called these boys by name. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. Does God know your name right now? Yes. Not only does he know your name, he knows your address. Yes. He knows exactly what you are dealing with, what's dealing with you, where you are going, when you plan to get there. He knows everything that needs to be known about you. Because when he got it ready, he just called Moses, tell Aaron, Nadab, Abai. I know Moses must say, oh, wait, God, you know them? Oh, yes, I do. Not only does he know them, he knows you. Say right now, say with me. Say, God has my name. Say, God has my address. Say, God knows everything about me. Let us say to I'm saying that for you to know, no matter what's happening with you, God got there before you. He has already settled it. He's just waiting for you to catch up. Because those boys, they, they had no idea their, their lives was about to change. That God was about to call them into something higher and bigger until God made a pronouncement. Amen? Verse 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. This is important. <laughs> Not only did he call them to, be, to the priesthood, God said, you know what? There are two things about me that you must recognize. Number one, I am holy. Because I'm holy, I am pure. And therefore, I cannot stand anything that's unholy or impure. Absolutely not. I am holy, I am pure, I cannot stand anything that is unholy or impure. But there's something else you need to know about me. Not only am I holy, you also must understand I am merciful. In my holiness, all of these tribes of Israel, you are finished. Because you cannot access me, I cannot withstand, I cannot stand your unholiness. But out of my mercy, I will do something. Out of my mercy, I will create a, 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 a situation where even though I'm holy and you're unholy, I'll put something in place that will still allow you to have access with me. Access to me. So what will I do? I will clothe your priests for glory and for beauty. In other words, whenever they put on these clothes, these garments, you will glorify me and at the same time, they will reflect the beauty of who I am. Because you can see me. You are too unclean to see me. So it clothes them 
And what God is doing by that is he recognizes that their flesh and in their flesh there was no way they could satisfy the demands of God's holiness. So the only thing God could do was put on them garments. And as long as they wore or put those garments on, God was saying to himself, the garments represents my holiness, it represents my righteousness, it represents who I am, and as long as they wear them, they have access to me. Are you following me? So God placed his glory and his beauty upon unholy and, uh, and, and ugly humanity. You still, you still following me? Good. So that's what he did with Israel. I just read to you Hebrews 3.1. Where the Bible says that Jesus Christ is not only our apostle, but our high priest. In order for me and you to understand what the high priest of Jesus means now, we need to understand what it meant in Israel. So, if you continue in, chapter, in Exodus 28, and begin to read from verses 5 onwards, God began to name the various garments that the priest will wear. Give me the first slide. He began to name the garments that the priest will wear. First slide. Hallelujah. So in verse 5 here, it says they shall take the gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen. It begins to tell them the items they must gather together. And on and on and on and on. But I want to begin to show you some slides to help you bridge the gap in your understanding. Praise God, you're working on it. Hallelujah. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Now, as they're working on that, let me give us or show us how Jesus so beautifully fulfilled this high priestly ministry. Aaron was called by name. Is that correct? I just read to you Exodus 28. And then Exodus 29, Aaron was washed and then he was clothed. So three things happened. He was called, he was washed, and he was clothed. Do you all agree with that? You saw him called in Exodus 28, right? Do I need to show you in Exodus 29 why he was called? Where he was uh, washed and clothed? Or do you just take my word for it? Okay, thank you. Okay, you verify later. <laughs> Trust but verify. <laughs> How are you guys to verify? Have you ever wondered why Jesus ever needed to be baptized? Why did he have to go to the river Jordan to be baptized? He did not sin. Hebrews 5.10 says, Jesus was called of God to be a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So he, Jesus, was called 
like Aaron was called. Jesus was also washed, Matthew chapter 3. Just like Aaron, the high priest was washed in Exodus 29. In Exodus 29, immediately after the washing of Aaron and his sons, they clothed them. Ha! Huh. What happened to Jesus in Matthew chapter 3? After he was dipped in the water, and he came out of the water. What the Bible says? The heavens opened up, and the Spirit of God did what? Came upon him. To do what? To clothe him! This is the fulfillment of his high priestly ministry. He must fulfill perfectly in type what Aaron was. Have I lost anybody? Was that clear? Brother TJ, you're looking at me. Very well. uh, did you get it, sir? You believe me? But did you get it? I got it. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay, good. It's very important you understand that. Because Paul is telling us Hebrews 3.1, consider the apostle and a high priest of a confession. Jesus Christ. He didn't just say it, he named him. And you will see when I get to the end of this message why this is important for us to understand this connection. What Aaron was, Jesus is. What Aaron was, Jesus is. Okay. So, on the overhead, you are looking at high priestly garments. Again, I don't want to get into all of it because time will not permit me, although it's absolutely, incredibly loaded. Every one of those garments meant something. The white coat, which was the first one he wore, represents righteousness. The blue robe represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only comes upon you when you've been made righteous. And then on top of that is the multicolored airport upon which is placed the breastplate which will be the centerpiece of all these garments and will be the centerpiece of this message this morning. White represents the righteousness of the saints. Blue represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The airport, which is the modern color thing you're looking at, represents the responsibility of the priesthood. So not just that you are being righteous or you have the Holy Spirit upon you. The third layer that you wear talks about responsibility. Saints like to hear about how God is going to bless them. They don't like to hear about what God expects from you. It's a package deal. Let's move on from there. So, the criteria, next slide, to be a high priest, number one, you must be called and chosen by God. Number two, you must be consecrated in Aaron's case, by the law. But in Jesus' case, by an oath. Now you are beginning to see this, this similarity between the two priesthoods. Oh, no, 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 you are not getting it. Ha, yeah, 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 yeah. Aaron was called into the priesthood by the law. God spoke it, it was a commandment, you are in the priesthood. 
How many of you know that laws change? Not too long ago in this country, adultery was a crime. Okay, some of you are struggling with that. Abba Sodomi. It was a crime. They catch you as a boy kissing a boy, you're in trouble. Today, they commend you, they give you, they give you a commendation for it. The law has changed. Aaron became a high priest according to the law. Jesus, in his case, we are told in Hebrews chapter 7 verses 20 through 22, he was consecrated as a priest by the oath. By a covenant. A covenant that is irreversible. Cannot be annulled cannot be changed. It is settled. It is assured. It is granted. It is there. Huge difference. Number three, the priest intercedes for his people. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 24 to 25. Very quickly. I'm looking at, my clock, at the clock here. Now let me give us a breakdown. I told you that the white coat represents covering, which is righteousness. The blue robe represents the Holy Spirit. And the airport represents the responsibility of the priesthood. But the centerpiece of all these garments, all these layers that the priest had to wear, the most important part of it is what's called a breastplate. This breastplate was to the high priest what a quarterback was to football. I'm sorry, I don't know what that would be in soccer. I don't know the most important player on the soccer field. See, there, there, if, we, if we go there, there'll be a debate. Someone say goalkeeper, midfielder. See, that's, in football, there's no debate. There's no debate. You have no quarterback, you have no team. Atlanta has been suffering for that for years. <laughs> you give me Tom Brady, I can tell you the game is not over until it is over. <laughs> because anything can happen. So the breastplate is the centerpiece. In other words, the most important part of what the high priest wears. And for the rest of this message, we're going to focus on that. So let me give you a brief description of the breastplate. Number one, it was a pouch of beautifully woven material. Number two, there were 12 precious stones in four rows of three, which you can see. Number three, it was also called the breastplate of judgment or decision. Now, when you hear the word judgment, it's not like you're going to go to hell. That's not what they're saying. Judgment there or decision there is talking about how about God's plan, God's will, God's direction for that believer. Amen? Number four, it was a continual memorial before the Lord. And you're going to say that in a minute. Number five, it was held in place by golden chains attached to the onyx shoulders, claps, 
and also by the blue lace ribbons. You know what? I actually have one here. I left it in my office. I was going to bring it and show it to you. But last and not the least, this breastplate speaks to us of oneness and of God's affection. This is a picture. Whenever the high priest, Aaron, went before God's presence, it must be dressed like this. So every time it's in the presence of God, it's fully clad in these garments, and a breastplate, as I said to you, is a centerpiece of that entire dressing. Now, why is this so important? What is the relevance of all of this to where we are? Or why should we be concerned about this whole study? Now, the purpose of the breastplate, let me just break it down for us. It's on the next slide. It's to symbolize that the high priest was a mediator and intercessor who carried the names of God's people upon his heart always. He represented them before God continually. So he wore, he, he, now, you, you see that when I, when I get there in a minute. When he wore, when he wore this, this, this attire, the breastplate was there. And if you can look at the picture, there are 12 stones. On those 12 stones, each one represents each of the tribes of Israel. Oh, thank you, sir. Here is my breastplate. That's where the priest wore it. And on each one of these stones are the names of all the tribes of Israel. And then on his shoulder are the 12 names of the 12 sons of Jacob. Think about the picture. Picture what that means. Every day as he carried out his duties in God's presence, he was forever reminded that he represented these people. It's not just alone. It's one person, but it represents the whole. Yeah. All day, all night, in everything he did, the 12 tribes and the 12 sons, continually, non-stop, 24-7, Paul now tells me and I, as partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostles and the high priest of your confession, Jesus Christ. You want to know what Jesus is doing right now? He has my name on his chest. He has my name on his breast. He's calling my name before his father. And he's receiving revelation from my name from his father. Hallelujah. We need to understand what's happening. So now, let me quickly begin to give you the application and the relevance to believers. Number one, when you look at the shape of this breastplate and you look at the proximity where it is placed, they did not place it on the foot. They did not put it on the back. It's placed right here. If I came to you and did like this, 
you, you, what, would you, what would your understanding of that be? If I just came to you and just say, Brother Joseph, I, I just did this. Right away, you will get a message that I'm saying, I love you. I love you. I'm fond of you. So what did God do? God placed your name on his breast. He wants you to know that he loves you. We just did a song of the never ending, reckless love of God. God wants you to know how reckless, how never ending he is in his love towards you. Hallelujah. He does not matter what the world is bringing at you. When you see this picture, and you understand its meaning, you know that no matter if the world is against you, God is for you. And if God is for you, if his heart is throbbing for you, if God's heart is loving towards you, he said in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, my God. And he said, I've drawn you with my loving kindness. Hallelujah! That breast split. Yes. Number one message is, I love you. Yes. I love you so much, I want you in my presence. Yes. So I place your name on my son's heart so that when I'm with him, I'm with you as well. Number one message. Number two message that is gives to us is the assurance of your value with God. Notice, and I did not read all the scriptures. I didn't read them. It's all in Exodus 28. These stones were not just pebbles. The Bible calls them what? Precious stones. God did not write your name just on a rock. Charles, he did not just write your name on any stone. Read it. Diamonds, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle. My friend, sir, when was the last time you found diamond on the, on the ground? I know, I know you're a professor. Professor, where do you find a sapphire on the ground? Very rare. Have you found one on the ground yet? No. Oh, okay. Precious what? Stones. So God is saying concerning you, you're precious. It doesn't matter what they're saying about you at work. It does not matter what your friends are not saying. God the creator of heaven and earth. That God almighty. He said I estimate you so highly. I cannot represent you with just any pebbles. I represent you with diamonds. And sapphire. And emeralds. And precious gems. Oh my God. It doesn't matter how you feel. Listen. You must call those things that be not as though they were. Even if things are running against you, you must tell yourself, no, 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 no. I know how I feel in the natural, but I know what God has said about me. I refuse to accept man's labeling. I accept God's calling on my life. You are precious. Hallelujah. 
You want some more? Because number three, I hope you can. Th- I hope I hope you can take number three. So number one is the confirmation of His love. Number two is the assurance of believers' value, and there are scriptures for that. You see them on the on the overhead. I don't have time to make all of them, but they're there. Get a note from Revelation if you need it. Number three, <laughs> these names were not written. On the stones. They were engraved. They were not written, TJ, on the stones. They were engraved. What does that mean? What message is that trying to give across? Not only were they engraved, they were engraved. By a person who was filled with the Spirit of God. A writing can be erased. But an engravement is permanent. Say permanent. Say I am permanent. Ah, no, no, you are not saying it with conviction. Say I am permanent. My past is settled. My present is secured. My future is what? Assured. Permanent. It is engraved. I don't want to go into the nitty gritty detail. The engravement was done in such a way that no aspect of the stone was lost. To show you the supernatural nature of what got done. You know, when a jeweler tries to engrave stone, some of the stone will be cut and lost. No, 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 not in this case. Nothing was lost and yet it was engraved. John 10, 28. Bible makes it clear. All those that God has given him, none will be lost. Now, you may struggle if you want. You could struggle and say, ah, no, I can't believe that. I'm not making it up. Read it. It's there in your Bible. Engraved. You are as permanent today as you will be when you get to heaven. Settled. Jesus, the high priest. Hallelujah. My God, I want. I feel like I want to fly. Oh, glory to God. I'm confirming God's love. I'm estimated as a valuable person in God's presence. I'm eternally secured, number three. And then number four. This one I must take you to the scriptures. Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17. Oh yeah, I need to read it because it's something. Okay, I get it. Leave that up there, I'll read it. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. This is what it says. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift 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 of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ why am I reading this scripture go to Ephesians chapter 6 and we see the connection Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 when Paul was admonishing the believers at Ephesus 
He told him in verse 14, Stand therefore, having gathered your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. So we see the word breastplate here again in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 6. What's the connection? This is important. You must not miss this. What is going to make all of this work for you is this number four point. Which is the gift and the power of righteousness. Paul says, as a believer, that's put on the garments of salvation. Don't forget your breastplate of righteousness. Look at the Roman shoulder. When they go to battle, they have a breastplate on. What does that breastplate do for them in the natural? It protects their vital organs, their heart, and their lungs, and all the functions therein are protected as long as they wear the breastplate. So what's the breastplate of righteousness going to do for you and I? The breastplate of righteousness, like the breastplate of the Roman soldier, is the testimony of God concerning you. It is a life that is regulated according to God's testimony concerning you. Not your own testimony. No, 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 no. The breastplate of righteousness is you agreeing with what God has said concerning you. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is not a matter of how righteous you are in your own flesh, in your own self. No. This is you receiving the gift of God's righteousness. And now you wear it. How do you wear it? You wear it by acknowledging the testimony that God has given towards or concerning you. That is what's going to protect you from the fairy darts of the enemy. That's what's going to protect you from all of the things that the enemy will say against you. So the enemy will say you are not loved. Your breastplate of righteousness, you are lying. I know better than that. I know better than that. Why? Because God has said so. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm a delight in him. I bring him pleasure. He rejoices over me with singing. Hallelujah. That's where the breastplate of righteousness comes in. You must wear it. It protects you. Like the breastplate protects the Roman soldier. Huge. It is God's testimony concerning you. It is a life that is regulated according to the testimonies of God. You must understand that. It's nothing that you've done. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. No. No. You're not trying to earn it or deserve it. Jesus earned it. Jesus deserved it. Jesus paid the price in it for it. And he says he gives it to you as a gift. It's a gift. Romans 5, 17. It's a gift. A free gift for that matter. Amen? Amen. Number five. Now, I know I'm loved. I know how much God values me. I know I have a permanence in God's economy. I've received the gift of righteousness. Now, I must get dressed. There's a believer's dress code. Now, when I said that immediately, some of you are thinking long dress, short dress, 
tight pants. Nope, none of that. I'm speaking spiritually. Spiritually. Romans 13 verse 14. Romans 13 14. Romans 13 14. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill his lust. So when the Bible says put on Jesus, what is he talking about? Righteousness, Holy Spirit, responsibility. Oof. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. Put on the Lord Jesus. How is he dressed right now? He has righteousness on. He has the Holy Spirit on. He has responsibility on. Put on the Lord Jesus. So the way you and I get dressed, we put on Jesus. So I put on my righteousness. I receive the gift of righteousness by faith through the blood of Jesus. I put on the Holy Spirit. I'm baptizing the Holy Spirit. I shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. I put on responsibility. What does that mean? I engage with God where God is engaged. I put on the Lord Jesus so that I do not fulfill the loss of the flesh. See now, it's getting a little more quiet now because you know why? We are, not, we are moving from what God does for me to how you must now respond to God. And it's getting quiet and more quiet because we don't want responsibility. You think God will come and come and get you dressed. God will take you shower and say, God, oh God will say, oh, Professor, now put on your trouser. Put one leg here. Put the other leg here. Put on your belt. Put on your shirt. No! We are responsible because we've been blessed. He loves me. He values me. He's given me eternal security. What else do I want? Consequently, as a result of what he's given me, I must, I make a decision. Not, not a decision, put on. In other words, nobody will do it for you. You have to make that decision that I'm going to get dressed. The world's after me, but I will, be get, I will get dressed. I'm a righteous man. I'm a righteous woman. You must put it on. One more verse. Because I, must, I want to make the emphasis on that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Ephesians 4, 24. Look at what it says. Verse 23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24 says, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, we're encouraged to do something. But we're not doing something to get something. We're doing something because we have already received something. Big difference. You have to get dressed. You have to put on the new man. Amen? Now, as a result of what God has done through this breastplate, now we are ready to worship. We're ready to worship. Next slide. First Peter chapter 2 verse 5. He says, ye also, as lively stones. What stones? The one you just saw. Oh, my goodness. You guys are about, oh, Jesus. I just, I just want to fly. I don't know if you guys are seeing the connectivity. Stones in Exodus 28. Stones in First Peter. He says, you are a lively stone. For Israel, they were just stones that were just there. No life. Life is about you as lively stones. You are built up 
a spiritual house, a what? Holy priesthood to offer what? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus. We've already taught it in this church. Worship is not just when you sing on a platform. Worship is not the song you sing in your car. They are all expressions of worship. They are acceptable expressions of worship. Absolutely. But worship is how you talk to your child. Worship is how you talk to your wife. Worship is how you do your job. Worship is what you do when no one is watching. Worship is how you love your husband. How you love your wife. Every time you do what God expects of us to do, you are worshiping. When you bring your gifts before God, you are worshiping. When you bless your brother with a gift or help them do something, you are worshiping. So Paul, Peter says, because of what God has done, you and I to offer spiritual sacrifices. Paul said it in a different way. In Romans 12, 1 to 2, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice again, living. Living. A life sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, they killed them. They were killed sacrifices. But here in the New, we are all living sacrifices. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When my neighbor calls and says, I need help, I'm a living sacrifice. When my friend is in trouble and I need to help them, I'm a what? Living sacrifice. When I talk nicely to my wife, I'm what? A living sacrifice. When I talk nicely to my husband, I'm what? A living sacrifice. When I help my child, whatever I do, whatever I do, understanding my every living minute of life is a worship unto God. That is what makes our platform praise and worship powerful. When we've lived worship all week, and we get on the platform, we have an explosion. But when you live like the devil, all during the week, and you get on the platform, you put us all to sleep. You touch us. Yeah. So that's not what we want. We want to make our lives a what? A living sacrifice. Everything we do, everything we're engaged in, we make sure we know that we're doing it as unto the Lord. And last point. Last point. Witness. Ah, we don't like that word. Well, I know you, you mentioned it this morning in prayer. And last on um, Friday night. If we can remove this from the Christian dictionary, we'll, we'll, we'll all be relieved. Witness. First Peter 2 9. But you are what? A chosen generation. I'll chose you like I chose Aaron. Like I chose Nadab. Abahu. Eleva. I chose you. Lola, you are not an accident. Absolutely not. God wants you to know he had your name on his heart and he chose you. A royal priesthood. Kingly priesthood. A holy nation. He made you one. He made you holy. A peculiar people. So I'm not trying to say a peculiar treasure. Referring to those stones again. Treasure. They are treasures. That you should show forth the praises of him who are called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our job, folks. 
That's our responsibility. That we show forth his praise to everyone around us. So they will know that God called us out of darkness. Amen. Folks, we are the best kept secrets. Our world do not know what God has done for us. They have no idea. We worship and then we witness. Witness does not mean you knock people's door down and say you must be born again. It just means display who you are. Display who you are. I'm a child of God. I display the light of God. I display the wisdom of God. I display the salt of God. Everywhere I go, I, dis I just display it. Folks, there are some people here when they walk through that door, if my eyes were closed, I tell you they are, they are in the building. How? The, aro the, the aroma of their fragrance. The aroma of their fragrance. I can tell you immediately when Sister Rosie Toto walks into the building. <laughs> sweet, sweet aroma. I can say Rosie is here. Rosie is here. What happens? Her fragrance precedes her personality. Tosin Abida comes around the one. When she walks in, I say, oh, Tosin's around. I begin laughing because I began to say the same thing. I know. What? The fragrance precedes the appearing. I'm going somewhere with that. Your attitude concerning Christ is a prophetic utterance that helps everyone around you discern where you stand. You know, perfumes and cologne, when you put them on in the morning or in the afternoon, whenever you do so, you, the one that's putting it on, you smell it right away. But thereafter, you don't smell it any longer. You who put it on, you know I just did. Ah, it smells good. Oh, man, what is that? Okay, yeah, Chanel, good. Gucci, good. Whatever it is, good. ABK, it's angels, oh, good. <laughs> I just give him away. That's what he wears. He owns his stock in angels. Watch this. But once you wear it, you go about your business. You no longer smell what you wear, but everybody around you for the rest of that day, thankfully, it's a good aroma, they will smell it. attention. They're catching the whim of what you're carrying. Yeah. Now Paul says, you and I are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Yeah. That we should diffuse everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. In other words, while people are not looking at you, paying attention to you, they are catching a whim of what you are carrying. The glory, remember? The garment is for what? Glory and for beauty. The glory of God. They should be able to say, my goodness, there's something about you, man. I can't put my finger on it, but my God, there is something so pleasant about you. You're always smiling. You're always encouraging people. What is it? Your life should be Giving forth the glory of God and at the same time reflecting his beauty, tenderness, gentleness, wisdom. Beauty. Every day. And that's my challenge to us in this church. Every one of you that sat down under this ministry for one year can pastor any church. 
based on the revelation of the word of God you've received. All of you. If it's building brick and mortar, all of you can pass a church. That's right. So the point is, what are we doing with the revelation? When are we going to start working it out? I want to say, let it begin now. Let's be intentional in our worship. Let's be intentional in our witness. Let's remember on a day-to-day basis that Jesus Christ, our high priest, the Bible says he lives to make intercession for us. In other words, he's praying for us. He's talking to God for us. Last slide. What Jesus is to us is what me and you should be to others. What Jesus is to us right now is what we should be to others. Because we are a priest just like he is. A royal priesthood he calls us. What are you going to do with that challenge? Let's turn to our feet. Let's turn to our feet. What Jesus is to us, that's what we must intentionally be to others. Because you remember, he intentionally stands in the gap for us. I really want to encourage you, get the notes on this message because I did not go through the scriptures. If I went through the scriptures, we'd be here for another one hour. And I know that your roast, your chicken is on the oven. I don't want it to burn so you don't cuss me out. I gave you a break. I just went through it. But the notes are there. You can get them. So you can go through all those scriptures. Pastor Shina, please come. Please come.